Raider Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between and beyond, this is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8. And it's all available on all good podcast platforms. I'm Alexander Leipner, and this is a two-part special edition of the Santon Times Hour. Yeah, you heard that correctly. But uh, if you'd like to get in touch or send through your questions, your comments, your feedback, you can do so by emailing editor at santantimes.ca.za or connecting on social media at santantimes or visiting the website www.santantimes.ca.za. And uh, if you're listening live on uh, Mix 93.8 and not uh, on the podcast, uh, the WhatsApp line is open on 084-822-0938. That's 084-822-0938. A special welcome to everyone listening across Gauteng. Uh, anywhere in South Africa or somewhere in the world, uh, wherever you are, if it's online or on air, I'm happy to report that all is well in Santon land. And I'm joined once more by my man behind the desk, uh, Vincenzo. And uh, it's been weeks in the making, but we finally pulled it together and I'm excited to catch up with some familiar faces from television game shows in South Africa from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And uh, they had us glued to our TV sets and left us entertained with big cash prizes, catchphrases, and had us screaming out answers in our living room. I'm not going to give away too much right now, but stay listening and enjoy a walk down memory lane and find out what has happened to some familiar names and faces of yesteryear. Let's not waste any time as we get this week started with a fitting track it's Starlight by the Superman Lovers on the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8. The best of Santon and beyond. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms. And as we get uh, this special week of conversations going, I'm thrilled to be joined by a man who is television royalty. If you were uh, around in the 80s, 90s and the 2000s, you will remember a show that used to come up every single weekend. It was a music show. It had us all glued to our television screens and also people who weren't necessarily, necessarily Afrikaans speaking because the show was predominantly focused on, on uh, Afrikaans contestants, Afrikaans music, but it had us all gripped. We were all in on it, and it's become a household name. And I want to quickly play a quick uh, soundbite from that show just to uh, get you into the mood. Jackie, <laughs> So there you have it, Nuit for Nuit. And I'm joined by the man behind Nuit for Nuit, uh, not just on screen, but also behind the screen, Johan Stemmet. And Johan, it is so fantastic to be chatting to you. What a privilege. You've got a great radio station. It's nice to chat to you. Johan, uh, let's kick things off. How did it come about that you started Nerd for Nerd? Where did it all 
sort of what was the genesis of Nerd for Note? It, it actually happened in, I think, about 1990. In, in 1989, Jan van Rensburg um, and Elsa Colling, we were colleagues, we worked together at the SABC. We decided to leave the SABC and start our own production company outside of the SABC. And uh, about a year later, the SABC contacted us and said, listen, uh, we want to start more game shows going. Game shows was the very in thing in those days. And would you guys like to come and pitch something? So we thought, well, we're in music. We're involved with music. We always have been. And let's see if we can make a game from, from, from music. So we took established children music games and we formatted a game show from that. You know, games where a teacher would play a tune to a lot of little picks and, and uh, say there's pictures of animals on the board. And she would say, okay, now which animal do you see? Can you associate with this song? And she would play, say, three blind mice. Today she played Baby Shark. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kids would have to look at the pictures and say, oh, it's it's the mice or it'll be the shark. And from that, we, we designed the show. We took it to them and uh, we pitched it. And the first reaction was, it's a no-go. Uh, because they said it's too specialized. You can ask people general knowledge questions and have a general knowledge quiz show going, but general knowledge is the, is the word. You can't have a specialized music game show. Not everybody specializes in music shows, um, in, in music. And our argument was that everybody drives in the car and they listen to music on the car. The first thing you ask yourself is, uh, when you hear a song, is what's the name of that song or who's singing that song? Uh, so we thought we can take that and make a show from it, make a game show from it, and that you actually give play songs to people and you ask them, listen, who's the singer or what's the name of the song? And from that, the whole thing just evolved. As you say, on paper, it seemed like a very uh, straightforward show. It was probably a simple concept, but not, but quite a complex concept, because I think bringing a lot of those things to life uh, from a technological perspective must have been quite interesting as well, because it was a very different time in terms of uh, screens and touch uh, buttons and, and all these sort of things. I mean, the, the, the engineers or the stage builders at the SABC must have had quite an interesting uh, time having to, to build the set and, and build all these games that looked so seamless when you played them. Yeah, it, it, it actually, it, it's, it was a whole evolution uh, process. Uh, it started off very simply. We, we had back, back projections that we were using, back projectors, and we would change the slides as the games were played, uh, all analog, all very manual. And it, it just, from there, uh, you know, the key to the whole thing is evolution. You've got to change all the time. You've got to adapt all the time. That's what keeps, keep, kept it going over the years. You must remember when we started with Nerd for Nerd, there was no internet, uh, there was no cell phones, there was nothing. You know, we had to do all our research going sitting in the SABC's uh, uh, record library and draw little cards and look at songs and play songs and write down the lyrics. And it was a, it was a massive task. You can't just go onto a computer and say, "What's the song about?" You know, yes, a video, yes, this. Nothing like that. So it was quite a process to get from that stage to where we are now that we've got the internet available to us. Could you have imagined back then that this show would do such a long run and become such a, a household institution like it did? You know, Alexander, after the first series, we, we were worried because there wasn't that much excitement. Uh, I don't know, it, it, it was starting to bubble and we thought, well, if we can maybe get a second series of this, it's cool. And during the second series, something happened. I will tell you what happened. You know, when we started off uh, in those days, we worked, uh, 
well, our work that we do will be outside of the SABC. We weren't part of the SABC, but we had to make programs for a department called Afrikaans of Verscheidenheid. And they would broadcast, as you in your opening line said, it was Afrikaans music. And so that was only the first series because we were told we had to make it Afrikaans questions, Afrikaans music. So we did that. We stuck to where you uh, paste the piper calls the tune. So we did it. And when we got to the second series, we realized it hasn't got a long life because how many times can you play this Afrikaans hit before people get tired of it? And there's just not enough new music being created to keep this going. And we got permission to use English songs as well. And that's where the English audience suddenly came came in as well. A lot of the people said, listen, we don't speak Afrikaans, we don't understand the language, but we can play along because we understand what the question is and we know the song. And I think at that stage, it was still just pushing the Afrikaans artists. And the moment we were given the green light that we could use English singers and singers from other cultures as well, as as the years progressed, you know what I'm talking about, the early years now, as we got further into the 90s. Then the show just suddenly started running because then it became a show for all South Africans. And then it was. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we're chatting to Johan Stimmert. We're chatting about Nurt for Nurt. We're going down memory lane and looking at this uh, unbelievably successful South African television show. And we're going to chat to Johan a little bit more right after this break. Stay tuned. Uh, there's more to come. From Greater Santon to the rest of the world, this is the Santon Times Hour. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times. Well, I'm chatting to Johan Stemmert, uh, the man behind a show that was unbelievably successful on South African television for many, many years. It's Nurt for Nurt. And we're talking about his success on screen. We're talking about his success off screen. And Johan, I mean, the show was very much uh, resting on your shoulders. I mean, you were the, the showman. You were the, uh, the game show master on the show. And uh, you had to make sure everything kept going. But you weren't just uh, on screen. You were also running the show behind the scenes. And uh, you were also very much known for your very... Uh, colorful and exciting uh, suits and uh, and dress sense that you used to have on the show. Was that all part of, of making the show interesting and entertaining? Yeah, if you see me wearing that in the street, shoot me, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's, it, we, we always say that television is, is the what and the how. It's a balance between the what and the how. The, the what is the content, in other words, the games in the show that you're going to give people, and then the how is how are you going to color it in? You know, you can't. You, what are you going to wear? Uh, how's the set going to look? How are you going to arrange the music? How are you going to? So the what and the how must be balanced all the time. And if you want to get somebody's attention, wear a grey evening suit. And sure, they will watch. No, no, they won't. So we thought, what can we do to get people to say, what the hang is that man wearing? Let's wear something really, really shocking. And so we we got a lot of artists together, uh, painters, and we said to them, look, here's some cloth. All you need to do is paint whatever you want to on that cloth, and we will make a waistcoat from that, and I will wear it on the show, just to get people talking. And you know, Alexander, the interesting thing is we wore those waistcoats for, I think, a maximum of three seasons out of the 46 that we've done. And to this day, people still talk about the waistcoats. So I don't know if it's an era that stuck with people, but it really made such an impression that it got people talking. And that's what you want. You just want people to... Then they look to see what silly waistcoat you're going to wear. 
but soon, soon after that, they start watching it to see the show actually, and the waistcoat is just a by the by. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing, like you say, how that's actually remained in so many people's memories. And if you talk about Nerd for Nerd, it's one of those things that people still mention to this day. So I think uh, full marks for marketing and for publicity uh, on that front. Uh, Johan, what what are some of your most fondest memories of some of the episodes that you hosted? I mean, you're talking about uh, so many seasons that you've done. There must be one or two that stand out where you think, wow, that's the one memory I take with me. Yeah, there's been so many, and it's it's difficult to single one up. But I think if I had to, I would say our 400th episode that we did, we had masses of artists taking blood. We 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 developed a 22 minute medley with oh I don't know there was about I don't know how many artists we had, but it was it, the medley ran for 22 minutes nonstop, and uh, that was that was really a fantastic uh, 400th episode. But I think the other one would be my last show. Um, I was I was standing on the set presenting the last show of that series, and I, I looked around me and I saw that the picture doesn't look right because you know the contestants are young and the the the, the band is young and everybody's young, but but the presenter standing there is in his late sixties and this didn't look great. And I thought to myself, you know what? While I'm enjoying this and while I'm having such fun, I want to make this my last show. I think it's fair to the show to do it. Um, as I said, that said, I've, I've been presenting for 40 years continu- continuously, and uh, Lord for Lord was 29 that I've been presenting that. And so instead of doing my normal goodbye at the end, uh, where I say, well, that was it, you know, we'll see you again uh, around the corner, just keep watching, the next season's coming up, and blah, blah, blah. I just made that a goodbye, and I just thank the viewers for all the happy years I had, and that I was privileged to share it with them. And then I simply just brought the curtain down on my presenting career and that I will never ever forget but the nice thing for me was I decided there and then I've got to call it a day and once again not not, not uh, for me but for the show it was important that the show would get younger blood so Johan if I understand you correctly this hadn't been pre-discussed this hadn't been predetermined you decided at that point that's it and uh, you obviously then had to have this conversation with everybody else after the show Yes, I didn't. I didn't discuss it with anybody. Just made the call because obviously we had another six months or so to develop the next series again. So we used that then as an opportunity to 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 also bring in the new presenter. And it was, I think, it was a good move to bring Imo Adams and the DJ in because we suddenly uh, the demographics changed and we got younger audiences. And and that's that's what I I intended. I wanted, or let me put it this way: the presenter must never be more than the show because that spells a sure disaster so Johan I mean you just you've just spoken about how uh, you know the presenter should never be bigger than the show but the reality is that you became a very recognizable face and I think especially at a time where media was limited to a few TV channels a few radio stations you know a few newspapers this must have completely changed your profile I mean it must have been almost impossible for you to walk in the streets yeah it it, it had a massive impact as I said just now, I was presenting music shows on television since 1980. So by the time Nerd for Nerd came along in 91, I was I was pretty much established as a television presenter in South Africa at that stage. And I was also fairly active as a recording artist and a performer, but mostly amongst the Afrikaans audiences. Uh, but Nerd for Nerd, when that came along, it's it certainly opened my profile up to new audiences and other language groups and other cultures. So yes, it had a massive, massive impact. Johan, is there anything that you didn't enjoy about uh, about this particular job? Absolutely nothing. 
I loved every moment of the joyride, and I still am. It's it's there's there's nothing you can't you, you cannot love about being involved with the show. That's I mean that's fantastic, and that's a great thing to be able to reflect on. I think as well, having done it for such a long time, Johan. There's probably a lot of people asking themselves, "What are you doing now? What are you doing after Nurt for Nurt?" Yeah, for me, it's still business as usual. I just stopped the presenting side of it. So, uh, yes, if you don't see me on the TV, uh, it doesn't mean I'm not involved anymore. I'm, I'm still producing the show. I'm directing the show. I'm editing the show uh, with the, the group of people working with me. So, yes, it's business as usual for me. And then as a hobby, what I do as well as I build guitars, I, I started building it during 2020, the COVID year. And uh, I love doing that. But otherwise, I'm still in the office normal, normal hours and still involved with Nerd for Nerd and the other music shows that we do. Jan, if there's any takeaway that you hope your audiences took from those many, many years that Nerd for Nerd ran on, uh, on television, what is that one thing that you hope that people sort of remember about the show or take away from the show? You know, Alexander, we had a motto. We still have a motto in our company. It says, happy people make happy programs. And the joy that the show brings to audiences and also the people creating this show. It's just something that stays with you. And, and uh, you know, you, you you get people coming up to you in the malls or wherever, and they just want to tell you how much the show meant to them and the happiness the show created in their families because it is a family show. And uh, I always uh, enjoy it when people say, you know, the nice thing of the show for them is that, you know, they watch it with their grandparents and their parents, and the type of music we try to bring in, we try to accommodate everybody. We bring in the golden oldies for the grandparents. We'll have something for the kids, something for the parents, so that everybody can play and compete. And the, the, the fun they had that when, when the grandfather gets an answer and the kids say, how do you know that song? You know, and it comes from his era. So it's all about the joy and the family time that the show uh, created amongst people. Um, to me, that is special, and 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 if I can take that with me and say, you know, we entertained people, families in their homes, and that is special. Oh, well, there you have it. Johan Stimmert, the man behind Nurt for Nurt, a South African television and media institution. We all know it, we all loved it, and it's been so great catching up with him here on the Santon Times Hour, and I thank him for making the time to chat to us. It's the bottom of the hour, and appropriately, it's time for a musical break and more of the Santon Times Hour right after this. The Santon Times Hour continues. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 with Lionheart Fearless by Joel Corey and Tom Grennan. Taking you into the second half of a very special edition of the Santon Times Hour. My name is uh, Alexander Leipner. And you know how this works. If you listen regularly, if there was anything that sounded uh, interesting or you didn't get the details uh, of it on the show, well, we've got show notes on the Santon Times. So you visit the show notes for this week on www.santontimes.ca and there's a detailed breakdown of everything we've discussed on the show and uh, so much more. Also, if you are listening, you can also check out our social media accounts at Santon Times and feel free to uh, get in touch, connect, send us a tweet, uh, a voice note, a WhatsApp, uh, a smoke signal, whatever works for you and uh, you're comfortable with. And also you can use the hashtag Santon Times Hour. Now, my next guest owned the screen on a Wednesday night, somewhere in the mid-90s, if my memory serves me correctly. He got hopeful contestants stepping up to a wheel wishing for the arrow to land on a handsome sum of money and as we say the rest is history but uh, here's a quick clue that's where your money goes you see now we've done an interesting survey amongst tonight's guests three of them would 
pay off their bonds, two would buy a house, and the six would go to Australia. <laughs> if they won the jackpot, that is. So let's meet them, six of the luckiest people in South Africa. And they are Nazia Khan from Lanasia South. Butch Govender from Chatsworth. And Lily Marsden from Parktown. Columbus Sikiza from Canera. Marty Boyson from Ronfontaine. And Peter Dazel from Paris. So let's go on to our first knockout round. And while our first contestants, ladies and gentlemen, are taking their places, let's take a look at the prizes on offer tonight. They're nice. Well, I think that gave it away. Uh, you've guessed it right, hopefully. It's Win and Spin, and I'm joined by the game show master of that show, Mike Mills. And Mike, it's great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you so much, Alexander. A pleasure to catch up with you guys, and great to be back on Mix FM after something like 10 years. Well, Mike, I mean, it's 10 years on Mix. I don't even want to count how many years it's been since you were on Win and Spin. But I mean, just give us a bit of background. How did how did the show come about? Uh, as I recall, um, we're going back to about 1991, 92 uh, in that vicinity. The show came about because there were a, a, a crowd of guys who were experts um, in launching lotteries uh, around the world in different countries. And they came to South Africa after the release of Mandela and the opening up of everything. And I think they were hoping to get the license for the lottery. But as a precursor, they launched the Ituba Scratch Card, which was a, a, a charity-based uh, thing. And um, as part of the whole operation, they managed to get the SABC to agree to uh, have a, a TV game show based around the scratch card. That's how, that's how it came about, as I recall. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember some of the, the, the details now that you uh, mentioned the scratch card. That's right. You had a, a scratch card and I think you had to you had to send the stub in the post, which is a, a conversation on its own. I mean, it's something that you couldn't even think about, but you had to sort of, I think, uh, tear off a, a piece of the ticket and you could send it in via the post. And then obviously you got selected. You can come onto the show and uh, there was uh, money to be won, but there were also very interesting prizes to be won, if I remember correctly. Well, for the most part, it was money. Uh, it was uh, an assorted amount of money based on the wheel, which I guess was also based on the uh, renowned TV show um, in Britain and America, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, probably the same kind of principles applied. And the big prize was a million rand, wow. um, which did get given away. I forget how many times altogether, Alexander, but um, we did give it away a few times. Well, wow, that's amazing. And a million rand back then, that must have been a, a small fortune. I mean, it's it's a pretty good amount now, but back then that must have been uh, the king's ransom back then. I mean, that must have been quite something. Uh, how did you get onto the show, Mike? I mean, how did that process come about? Okay, well, here's a bit of a backstory. So back in the day, um, for those who are, are too young to remember, um, under the apartheid rules and regulations, the SABC had total control of South African radio and television airspace, if you like. Um, if you were working for an independent radio station, you had to come from technically outside South Africa. So uh, stations like uh, Radio Bop and Capital Radio and 702, which was the station I had joined in 1983, uh, you had to come from one of the uh, Bantustans or the so-called homelands. 
So 702 came from Bukutatswana, for those who remember. So there was a very strict rule uh, for a long time that if you worked for an independent radio station, you were not allowed to appear on SABC television. Sure. And that is how they managed to entice a few guys away from 702 to go and join 5FM because they could dangle the carrot of TV appearances or TV shows to uh, for them. So uh, this was the case for quite a while. And those of us who worked on independent radio had to make do with uh, the old Bop TV uh, and also the fledgling Mnet. I was on the original uh, cast of uh, continuity announcers with Doreen Morrison, the late Kevin Savage, as continuity announcers on Mnet because they tapped into the source of talent that had been uh, not able to get onto the SABC. Anyway, we fast forward to Mandela's release, etc. Things start to change. And I was advised by the wonderful Anne Williams, who by now was a, a very serious TV director at the SABC, that this rule had fallen away and I could audition when I heard that Win and Spin was coming up. Now, I knew some of the very established guys at the SABC were auditioning as well, so I really didn't rate my chances terribly high. <laughs> so I went and probably gave one of the most relaxed auditions that I ever had. I did everything that was required of me, and I was very surprised, and pleasantly so, to get a phone call from the producer of the show, Ian Fraser, uh, to say, you've got the gig, and that's how I landed it. That's amazing. It's quite a quite a backstory there, and it's it's quite funny how you 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 know you have to sort of contextualize all of this, especially because there's probably a few people listening who probably don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I sat with some some young uh, media folk and journalists uh, at Sun City a couple of weeks ago, and they were asking me, "So why did they build Sun City here? This is such a random place to put it." And uh, I had to explain to them that there was a massive historical context that led up to the fact that Sun City is where it is. But that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. You're talking about sort of, you know, obviously the media landscape at that time. And I mean, you know, it, it was a kind of time where there was, you know, such a select amount of media that you could consume that chances were that if you went to school the next day or you went into an office and you said, listen, did you guys watch Win and Spin last night? I'd, I'd probably guess that 80 to 90% of the people had watched it. And I mean, this must have been quite a bit of fame for you to have to to process. I mean, having already sort of appeared on radio and other uh, platforms, but I mean, it, you know, being on television back then was was quite a massive uh, a massive exercise. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the competition and the amount of choice that the listener and viewer has now uh, certainly wasn't available then. So the ratings for the show were very high. And uh, I don't know how many people would have tuned in on any given episode, but because the show ran nonstop for five and a half years with me as the presenter, I couldn't go anywhere without people recognizing me. And I began to get... A, a, a sense of what your really big celebrities have to contend with. You know, I'm talking about rock stars and, and film stars and serious actors um, and music stars, etc. It, it's why they tend to close themselves off because you can't go into a supermarket, you can't walk into a shopping center, you can't go down a street, you can't go to a hotel without somebody recognizing you. And, and I got a taste of that. And the, the, the worst part in a way, although I was always endeavoring to be really nice to people because they were supporting us was that a number of people felt they they had to touch me now this wasn't just a handshake <laughs> this they wanted to touch my arm or my shoulders or my back for good luck oh my gosh <laughs> 
which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I mean, that must have been completely overwhelming. <laughs> to try and become like a, a good luck token in the public eye must have been quite an experience. It, it was. But, you know, you, you understood that most people were um, were good natured and fine about it all. And obviously, I, you know, I played along. Um, but every now and again, when you're having an off day, you're, you've been working very hard and things maybe aren't going right or whatever. And all you want to do is pop into the shops and get your basics and leave. Um, that became quite difficult. And it took uh, a few years after the show had ended for that to dissipate. But of course, now, what, 30 odd years later, it's completely gone. And I have no hair left. I've got millions of wrinkles and nobody recognizes me at all. Well, listen, Mike, I mean, for the people who who, who do still remember Win and Spin and, and are probably wondering where where and what is Mike uh, Mills doing right now, you still got your fingers uh, in media and you are still very much uh, busy and active, which is which is fantastic to hear. Yeah, but I'm way too old for television now, Alexander. This is that's a game for young people, and and of course, good-looking people. Uh, <laughs> I, I was never good-looking. I had to get by on on personality. Amazing, Mike. Now you obviously did a good job. I mean, I must say, it was one of my my favorite shows to watch when I was uh, yeah, I was at school at the time and uh, and used to watch it regularly on a Wednesday. Unbelievable. Well, there you go. Walk down memory lane there with Mike Mills, the then uh, host of Win and Spin. You uh, scratched your card, you sent in your ticket, and hopefully you rocked up one day in studio to spin that wheel and uh, win some money. And if you were one of those people listening right now, I'd actually love to hear from you. <laughs> it would be great if you could send us a message, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Mike, it's been great having you on the Santa Times Hour. We're going to take a quick musical break, and we'll be back with more right after this. Listening to the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. That was Nathan Dore. Uh, featuring Ella Henderson with 21 Reasons. And as we get into the final stretch of this hour, I'm thrilled to be joined by one more master of the games on television. And if you were watching television in the late 90s, you might remember a television show that went a little bit like this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to an amazingly packed Gladiators Arena for show one, this international MTN Gladiator Series. We have been promoting the show and now they're finally here. We can hardly believe it. Which flag will you be flying for MTN Gladiators? So let's meet our contenders tonight from South Africa. It's Kirsty Mayer. Kirsty, whoa, how about this? Welcome to the program. This is going to be fun representing your country. Remind everybody at home, Kirsty, where are you from and what do you do? Well, I'm from Johannesburg and I still haven't decided what I'm going to do, but I'm definitely going to do it and do it well. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Are there any supporters for Kirsty here tonight? <laughs> Who are they? Are they all over there? Family and friends and everything? Yeah, so I've got enough here. <laughs> okay, good luck. Let's hear for Kirsty! Yes, you're right. You might remember MTN Gladiators, known as Gladiators Around the World, and it's making a bit of a resurgence. But to chat about that show and so much more, I'm joined by the then-host Glenn Hicks. You might remember he was right next to uh, Ursula Stapelfeld, no, now Ursula Chikane. And Glenn joins me all the way from British Columbia in Canada. And Glenn, thank you so much for making time to be on the Santon Times Hour. Ah, you bet. Uh, good evening and uh, good morning from beautiful, sunny British Columbia, Canada, Alexander. Great to be on your show. Well, Glenn, I mean, uh, the words MTN Gladiators, what kind of memories does that resurrect in your mind? 
Uh, well, I was. I think I was um, ever so slightly younger, and, and arguably, although this is up for public debate, we could have a royal commission of inquiry on it as well. I might have been slightly better looking as well, <laughs> Alexander. And to be utterly frank with you, you know, I'm the sort of guy um, who tends not to need the rearview mirror. If, if we didn't have to have rearview mirrors in motor vehicles, I wouldn't use them. Thank heavens for cameras these days on the cars. Yeah, I tend to look forward and. It was only when I received your email from beautiful South Africa that I thought, oh, good heavens, I better start thinking about those golden days of MTN gladiators because I think they were like 24 or 25 years ago. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, and and like I've been saying to uh, so many of the people we've been interviewing about some of the the you know the memorable game shows in South African history, it was at a time where media was uh, so one sided. I mean, you had a, a few TV channels to choose from, a few newspapers to choose from, a bit of radio. So whenever you made it onto television, I mean, it was bound to become a massive show and have mass appeal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there was nothing quite like. Like it, Alexander, the, the, the Gladiators show, I think it certainly harnessed that South Africa's coming out, you know, in terms of this, of it, it being an international, uh, fun, hip happening country. I mean, obviously, we'd had the, uh, the, you know, the glorious years of the of the transfer to real, genuine democracy. And I just think in some way, Gladiators just, oh, man, it just took the place by storm. Families, kids. Uh, uncles, grannies, we used to put four or 5,000 people in that arena. It was called the Standard Bank Arena. I don't know what it's called these days, but we would fill that indoor arena. We had up to 10 or 12 cameras in that place. So the place was humming as a live spectacle. And then, of course, our responsibility as TV producers uh, was to whittle that down to 43 minutes of, of just dynamic, fantastic, sporting, recreational, game show TV. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly wasn't surprised that it took off. Um, I think we, we, didn't, we launched in 1999, didn't we? Something like that, Alexander? Yeah, that's right, and, yeah. Um, and I just think the time was right. I mean, it was just uh, colorful in every political, gaming, TV, entertainment sense of the word. It was just uh, Technicolor fun, and and the audiences, I understand, <laughs> just loved it, you know, every week when it went on air. Well, listen, I certainly remember sitting in the audience as a uh, then-teenager with my sponge finger uh, pointing up in the sky and down into the ground to uh, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen as uh, as it became a signature tune during the show. But was it going to be an obvious success? I mean, when you were pitching the idea, when you were getting the sponsors involved, all the people on board, was everyone like, yeah, this is going to work, this is going to be a smash hit? You know what, yes. You know, Alexander, I we approached MTN. They loved it. Don't forget the commercial uh, attraction to them as key sponsors. They were, as we know, the mobile phone market was taking off in, in a big way in South Africa. And they certainly wanted to harness the potential for teenagers, for young families to get into the, the cell phone uh, digital age as well. So we spoke with them and they were absolutely uh, chuffed about the idea. We uh, figured we'd get a great lineup of attractive, beautiful-looking people to be our, our gladiator stars. We know it's still the case that South Africa is this athletic outdoors. South Africans embrace the outdoors and they embrace competitiveness and sport and recreation. We thought it was a golden time. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound too you, you know, uh, inflated about it, but we were pretty confident, the broadcaster SABC, we were pretty confident that this was going to be a hit. Of course, a lot of people had to do a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of planning, 
in terms of TV shots, in terms of building the equipment, uh, in terms of naming the gladiators. I mean, we were all sitting in rooms and behind the scenes working out who we're going to call what and who's going to be good at this game and who's not going to be so good at that game and how, how do we ensure safety and how do we ensure the dynamism of the product and the lighting and the camera angles and the, the music and the pace of the show. You know, I, you know, as I intimated just now, there's a, there was a big difference between the, between the live spectacle that, as you enjoyed as a kid, you know, with your foam finger in the audience versus what the, what the viewers ended up seeing as the post-production product. But yeah, I, 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 we were all pretty convinced that this was going to be a sensation, and I think it was. Well, what are some of your most memorable moments uh, fr- from that show? I mean, you guys had a good run, 99 till about 2001. Uh, there must have been many, many moments, especially in such an action-packed show, that you probably still think about. Yeah, I, I, th- I think so. When you, when, you, when, when you jogged my, you know, when you asked me these questions, I know it's 24 years on, but for me, um, obviously the close finishes of the show, you know, you would have one competitor against another and perhaps they would amass a slight lead before they went into that uh, you'll viewers will recall the old amazing ending to the show the big obstacle race that that climaxed with the running up the 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 the, the, the speed ramp and, and jumping on the rope and swinging through the closing banner to to win uh, an event and ultimately the final i mean i i really and i i can't say for sure i remember specific fights or duels i think there were some you know, fun ones, but the big climaxes, the the really exciting climaxes, when one competitor would be maybe on the balance beam leading up to that conveyor belt run up, and they'd keep falling off the balance beam, and it would it would it would generate such drama, yeah, uh, and tension. Of course, that's how the set was designed, right? They'd come down the the big foofy slide, and they'd fall on the mats. They'd get up on the balance beam, and heavens, this lady or gent who's winning by. 15 seconds keeps falling off the balance beam and here comes the here comes the person trailing behind them and of course you know that 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 shouts to everybody loves a comeback or a come from behind victory so i love that i remember once granite certainly one of the stars the big big uh, star the one of the, the big he-man gladiators granite i remember he hit somebody so hard on the dueling, you know, the, the, the game where it was like they had like giant earbuds, like giant. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I, don't, I can't even remember the name of the game, Alexander, but they would stand up there and they duel on platforms. Granite hit somebody so hard that the whole equipment in his hand like bent Goodness. and uh, d- didn't hurt the competitor. Thank heavens. I think he just caught him square in the shoulders. But the whole baton thing he was holding was bent. <laughs> and afterwards. Uh, we had a good laugh about that off camera. Um, I don't think you got to see that on on camera necessarily, but yeah, there were. You know, everybody was great. You know, the competitors were just so into it. It was a lovely time. It was, as I said, I think the show encapsulated the the lovely, free spirit, uh, outdoorsy, glorious, free, happy sentiment of the nation at the time. So. I loved every minute of it. Well, I must say, it, it was a larger-than-life show, especially for its time. And uh, and one of the things I always find so remarkable when I watch uh, some of the old clips I've managed to find some on YouTube was uh, how mm-hmm. uh, it was the golden age of cell phones, yet nobody in the audience was holding up a cell phone, taking a video or a photo, because we weren't that far yet in terms of it, smartphones. Yeah, or- what a fascinating observation. I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, had that, you know, if that show was running now, you get the sense that everybody would have their phones out and be on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and, and WhatsApp. 
But is in a sense, Alexander, and, and with, I don't want to get too socio-analytical, but wasn't that a lovelier time? Isn't it great that everybody enjoyed and absorbed the experience entirely through their eyes and their brain and their ears, and there was no distraction of holding up a cell phone? Certainly. No, listen, I mean, and I think that's also been a, a lot that's uh, triggered my my memories of a lot of these shows that we talk about from the from the 90s and, and early 2000s, where life was somehow a little bit simpler and a little bit less complicated because we didn't have the sort of instant uh, you know media that we had to sort of splurge out on on the internet or put on our phones and it, it was like just a, a very simpler time and probably also at a time where we were a little bit more present as to what was happening on yeah. TV or happening in you know as a live studio audience Glenn for people who obviously have lost track of of your time on on MTN gladiators and, and after that where, where have you ended up now where are you in the world yeah, so right now, right now I'm working in in uh, the interior of British Columbia, Canada. So it's it's midsummer here. It's glorious weather. It's warm. The place I live in, people don't realize. You know, they think Canada's the Great White North, but Canada gets very, very hot in the summertime, especially in this part of the world. I live in a sort of semi-arid, semi-desert place called the Okanagan, which some people may be familiar that British Columbia actually makes some lovely wines, and it's a dry, wine-growing, lake, mountainous region that gets very, very warm. I'm sitting here, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's the morning, and it's already 25 degrees Celsius, and it'll get to over 30 today. So yeah, I work uh, for a, a Western Canadian media, media outlet called uh, Patterson Media, a media group. And much like yourself, Alexander, I've embraced the whole digital age, and I'm responsible for a, a sort of quasi-experimental digital all-video lifestyle app called Kelowna 10, and that's what I do. Uh, but since Glad, I mean, that's that's now. I'm, you know, I'm not too far away from retirement. I hope. But uh... well, there you have it, Glenn Hicks, <laughs> uh, all the way from British Columbia in Canada. He was the uh, executive producer, I think, at the time of those uh, MTN Gladiator shows, and also starring alongside uh, then Ursula Stapelfeld, now Ursula Chikane. And what a great memory that was! And uh, I thank him for making the time to be on the Santon Times Hour. You bet. Delighted. And that's it for another edition of the Santon Times Hour. This week, a very special edition, and we're going to do it again next week when we have another group of well-known game show hosts join me to take a trip down memory lane right here on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms. If you want to get in touch and sh share some of your memories, you can email editor at santantimes.ca.za. You can connect on social media at Santon Times and, of course, visit the website www.santantimes.ca.za and feel free to send through your questions, your comments, your thoughts, your feedback. All of those are welcome. Thank you to my guests who made time to be on the show this weekend. And, uh, of course, Vincenzo, as always, thank you for being behind the mixing desk. And thank you to the Santon Times team, as well as everyone at Mix 93.8. And, of course, thank you to you for listening. And let's connect again next week.